the second episode of Profits Over Profits. It's me, Connor. I'm here again with Salah, and we're joined by our good friend, Iyad. Iyad, how are you doing? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. How are you? Good to, good to hear from you, man. This is actually our first in-person recording, so hopefully better social We're, we're taking yeah. social distancing very seriously. Absolutely. Um. But yeah, the trigger for this episode has been like everything that's been happening in Minneapolis. And honestly, it's been spreading pretty much across the United States now. You see protests in Louisville, Kentucky. You see them in New uh, York City, New York and Oakland, Oakland, Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. So you've seen these protests in Oakland kind of spread. Essentially, what sparked them was, I like to think, two incidents. Um, The first being... Amy Cooper's incident, which happened in New York, mm-hmm. and then the second Central happened Park. pretty much almost concurrently or immediately after, was the murder of George Floyd. Specifically, Derek Chauvin has been uh, has been he's actually been arrested and charged now, or they plan on charging him with third degree murder, which means the murder was not intentional. Yeah. So kneeling on a guy's neck for nine minutes straight. While he's saying, I can't breathe. Clearly not intentional. It's, it's, Clearly. it's borderline manslaughter, um, which is completely accidental. And the only other time I can recall of a police officer being held accountable for what's happened was that lady in Texas who, when she charged in to some dude's apartment, a black man's apartment, thinking it was her own, and then shot him. All while thinking. Oh, That's yeah, a logical yeah, yeah. thing to do, right? No. And obviously accidental too. Yeah. Of and, course. And then she got 10 years for that. But like, even if you saw the proceedings, like the judge came down from her stand and was like crying in tears. She was like, I'm so sorry. I had to sentence you and all that stuff. And very conspicuously, one of the main witnesses actually got shot or he died. Basically he got right. killed. Yep. Um, pretty soon after the trial, and they said, oh, it's because he was a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. I think it was Dallas. It was mm-hmm. Dallas PD. They said he was a drug dealer, which immediately the entire internet erupted and said, how's he a drug dealer while in a cop's building? Who would do that? You know what I mean? Um, and pretty much the internet said, like, none of it added up. Like, this immediately seemed to look like it was a, a hit job by the cops. But yeah, that was the last time I, I remember a police officer being actually charged. Yeah, I just want to jump in very yeah. quickly. Um, you said that, uh, just comment on something you said about these two incidents being sort of like the trigger. Yeah. It really feels kind of like a domino effect because just over the past little while, so we've had Ahmed Arbery and then we've had these two incidents. So it feels like dominoes that are just like knocking off each other one by one. And then actually... It's been on my mind that this is this feels eerily similar to the Arab Spring and the Egyptian Revolution, um, where we've had this string of oppressive actions taken by the cops, brutality, all these different things, and then all it took was for Khalid Said, Khalid Said, that one guy who got basically beat up and killed in a police station, sort of sparked the entire revolution. So okay. it's definitely felt like eerily similar to to yeah. what's been happening over the past couple of days. Just there's this massive pent up anger uh, that's been building up for years, and just took these sort of like these few incidents to take it yeah. off. 
And if there's one thing, and I think the reason the Amy Cooper story deserves mention here is because what it showed pretty much the entire country um, was how pervasive and how absolutely accepted it was that cops are going to murder black people. What she said was, I'm going to, she wasn't saying, I'm going to tell them my life's in danger. She didn't say that. She said, I'm going to tell them an African-American man is threatening threatening my life. Yeah. Yeah. So the, all the liberals who say they're colorblind, (laughs) no one is colorblind. And if you're not recognizing how even just mentioning someone's color to the police can cause violence or really increase the chances of violence, uh, you're, you're not telling the truth. You're not being honest. Yeah. I think the Amy Cooper scenario was very special because it's, it's not the kind of outward racism where you see cops walking into someone's apartment and shooting them or shooting a kid for having a toy gun. But this is the kind of racism that is very pervasive, basically, amongst our liberal side of society. Yeah. And it's not something that you'd see. This is, this is the kind of thing that people think. In their heads, these are like the deep, dark thoughts that they will keep to themselves. And maybe yeah. they won't be, admit it. It will, be, it will come in the form of maybe like microaggressions. But now you're actually seeing it right there in front of you. Exactly. It was, it was essentially what made systemic racism systemic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. These are the same people that hold the systems in place with their, I guess you can call it internal racism. Something that they don't necessarily can see or project but it's still beliefs that they hold mm-hmm. and they understand how those systems in place can affect black people disproportionately. Yeah. Yeah. They, they might never admit it, but they do benefit from that system and the racism that it per- perpetuates. Yeah, Absolutely. I guess one of the biggest responses that's happened in response to George Floyd has been these protests. And just like Trevor Noah said, this is against the backdrop of coronavirus where people have seen how disproportionately coronavirus is killing people of color and black people specifically because of how the healthcare system is not treating them correctly. In New York, it's concentrated in Queens and the Bronx. Yeah. Predominantly immigrant communities. Mm-hmm. Like when I would take the train from Queens uh, into the city, I'd maybe count maybe on a good day, maybe two white people on the entire train. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's an incredibly, incredibly diverse, beautiful community there. That's just being ravaged and devastated by the virus. Yeah. So this is all happening with that backdrop and including the financial and economical effects on these communities that are already, I mean, this is what makes them vulnerable essentially is that they don't have the safety nets that a lot of other communities can benefit from. They've already been looted. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So like with this backdrop in mind and the entire country already feeling, I guess, the the tension, the economical stress, the, the racial stress, they're seeing all of that happen. And then this one or these four cops, I should say, these four cops murder a black man in, and, and it wasn't like other murders. There was no claim for, oh, he was reaching for a gunshot, so I shot him. It was nine minutes. It was nine minutes of this dude kneeling on his neck. Any illusion of an yep. excuse is not there. It doesn't exist. 
yes. especially in this case. Yeah. Um, not that it ever did, but in this case, that the cops are running out of of bullshit excuses to give people about oh you didn't capture the whole thing you didn't take a video of it the video wasn't good quality you know everything was captured every yeah, single the video before during and mm-hmm. after every single moment of it was captured and all of this because allegedly he tried to use a bad or, or a fake twenty dollar bill yeah all this which apparently turned out to be okay after but and then we have to, I have to go back to that because it was depressingly enough, an Arab American who called yeah, the cops on. Yeah, yeah. But apparently also this, so this, of course, this doesn't excuse his actions, but something I found interesting, and I haven't looked enough into it enough, but this Arab American store owner, when he was describing him to the police, mm-hmm. he basically used every descriptor in the book except saying black, mm-hmm. which I feel like this kind of like, there's a stark difference between what happened in Central Park versus even this call, because this man knows if, if this is true, he knows how loaded the word is. So he's the, the store owner didn't call the cops. Mm-hmm. The store owner, store owner didn't know who it was. Because mm-hmm. he said, like, I know George Floyd. I've dealt with him a lot. He's a regular customer. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually one of the workers at the store, mm-hmm. um, a female. Her name's not released. And I don't want to, like, look into it. But it was actually her who called the cops. And he absolutely, like, both of them condemned what the cops did, which is good. So one of the things was that the, the female Arab American who called the cops on George Floyd suspected of forging the $20 bill. She was reportedly following protocol. But I think one thing that needs to be extremely apparent, especially after both the Amy Cooper situation and like the weaponizing of the police and its systemic racism, as well as the George Floyd situation, is recognize that Police is not just a simple customer service call against black people. Even if you're doing it, you're calling in the hit squad. Yeah, if you're if if you're calling in the police, you have to be prepared for a black person to die. That's yeah. kind of what it is. Hundred percent. Regardless, like that is something that has everyone needs to be cognizant. Of. Seriously, like unless your life is on the line. There is no good reason to call the police. I understand the frustration when. You're afraid of, you know, maybe somebody's tweaking. These are not good reasons to call the cops. You know, people having mental breakdowns, people being just being homeless outside, not good reasons to call the cops. You have to be prepared for that person to die if you're going to call the cops on them and they're black. Right. That that needs to be absolutely a preparation that you have. But again, it's something that we'd have to touch on, like this anti-blackness in their Arab community. communities. Yeah. And Muslim yeah, yeah. communities at large. Yeah. Um, and this is something like as three Muslims, we have experience with because we're part of the culture that kind of perpetuates it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like I've lived in Libya and I've lived in Egypt and it's like, it's very similar to Southern racism versus Northern racism in the States. Yeah. You know, in Libya, yeah, they'll have them as as workers, as laborers and nothing, but they won't let them get too, too big, if you will. You know what I mean? They won't let them succeed. And after I left, this eventually devolved into full-on slavery. But in Egypt, it was always 
a little more implicit. You know what I mean? That kind of racism would take in taking places because they're not achieving what they should. And know? also, and also, even the common words that that we use in Arabic too. And for example, so talk to a black man. Just yeah, call it a black man. For example, in Arabic, they we say zingi. You know, oh, aswad. Mm-hmm. And we can translate these, but yeah, they're, they're essentially the N words and just calling them black. You're basically labeling them up front when you go call and, them. And in Libya, they call them that bid. Literally, it's called slave. Yeah, slave. Yeah, yeah. In the Middle East in general, there's a lot of racism. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's no way that culture doesn't like transport over to states. You know what I mean? There's no way, like, if there's an Arab immigrant, he's still going to feel that. He's going to watch the same movies as us. He's gonna... Here's the thing, man. All these places. Um, there's a lot of anti-blackness in there. Even like, let's put aside our, our mosques, our community centers. Let's just look at our families. Usually, uh, I've seen that a lot of parents actually sort of like are not happy when they get a when they get twins, for example, or get two kids, and one kid is darker, and one kid is lighter. They'll be right. happier with the lighter kid. And one kid has super curly hair. One kid has super st- straight hair. They'll love the little baby girl that has yeah. light yeah, skin and you, straight hair. You, you know? see that fetishization. Of whiteness, yeah, in every culture that yeah. ends up here in the West, it, it's like you know Indian girls bleaching their skin, yeah, so they yeah. look whiter. This, this is the exact same kind of thing, and it's sad that we've reached this state. Yeah, the yeah. exporting of like the Eurocentric ideals of beauty all over the world is like a remnant of colonialism. Yeah, but that's not to say like it doesn't. It's not still our responsibility to resolve it. Definitely. Um, but but here's the thing. I feel like like you can't compare two racisms and say one is less than the other or one is uh, sort of uh, one is not as bad. But in this case, I feel like uh, the kind of racism that is in the mid- in the States is very, it has a different flavor from the racism in the Middle East. Um, yeah, because the United States says it's better than every other country in the world. It says it's freer. It says it yeah. respects everyone. It says everyone is equal. But it's it's. I think it's much worse in the I States. Think, so here's the thing. There's weird workarounds, mm-hmm. right? Because slave labor could be in Libya where it's like, all right, we're just going to borderline buy and sell black people, right? But you go to the States and they do it. How do they do it? They fill their prisons with black people. Yep. And then they tell them, all right, you're basically working for a dollar a day. Yep. Yeah. You know? And these prisons are for profit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Remember Tom Steyer, the presidential candidate? Yeah. yeah. That everyone thought yeah, he, Bernie was in That's how he got rich. He got rich off yeah. for profit prisons. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I think his net worth was like $3 billion. He's a, he's a billionaire. Yeah. He spent a lot of money at the election. He yeah. got nowhere. But I think in, in one of the last few states that he was at, he spent maybe $10, 15000000 million on TV ads. Something yeah. along those lines. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying is um, I, I don't think that you can say that Arab racism in back home, I don't think it would be fair to say it's less. It's different. But like even then, like, I mean, the way like – it's just, it's, it's a lot more systemic than it is individualistic in America. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a lot more systemic, but yeah. in Arab countries, I, I feel like the racism is a lot more Southern in nature. Yeah. Where they will call you a word that basically derives from the word slave. Like abd in Arabic is slave yeah. and abed is what they call black people in Libya yep. and some other countries. Yep. 
So it's to say that it's it's less. I, I don't think that's a fair statement. You can argue that it's a different flavor. Different flavor, yeah. I, I'd but, say that. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so getting back to Minneapolis, um, one of the biggest, I guess that we've seen something similar to this in Ferguson, although not not as targeted. But one of the biggest responses was these protests that in turn riots. So these happened obviously in stages. The first was they vandalized some cars in the Minneapolis, one of the police precincts. Yep. And then they surrounded the murderer's house. Mm-hmm. Um, and they stopped, they didn't stop uh, the food delivery guys from coming in. But what they did was they told him who he was. Yeah. Um, and then the third step was what we kind of saw now that everybody seemed to, to take the, the opportunity to jump out and say, no, this is wrong, was the rioting and looting. And part of that response was, disappointingly, a lot of people were saying like, oh, Martin Luther King wouldn't have wanted this. Um, Martin Luther King's own kids. <laughs> are not saying that. It's just other people projecting what they think MLK would have done. Exactly. So like, you know what? Malcolm X would have done that. Malcolm mm-hmm. X would have gone out. Yeah, so that's that was kind of like my point to it was that Martin Luther King had a lot of success. Um, he, was, he was amazing, but it wasn't necessarily without the threat of violence. Now, that's not to say that what they... They said wasn't violence at the time. They said everything he did was violence. They said his sit-ins. They said his sit-ins were wrong. That's not the right way to do it. They said his marches were wrong. Right. It's not the right way to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's getting too uppity. And the thing to remember is, despite all of this, Martin Luther King always doing the right thing, never letting things get too crazy, always advocating for peace. You, got, you know what happened to Martin Luther King anyways? Yeah. They but killed him. still got assassinated. So, and that's like, he, he himself said that one of his biggest enemies, I'm paraphrasing, was basically the moderate white mm-hmm. who sided more with order than justice. With justice. Who wanted, who wanted a white picket fence more than he wanted a black person to have equal rights. Right? So that's kind of the idea. This is, then we're kind of like seeing that happen again. Now to say, oh, they should be looting Target or it's okay to loot Target or destroy small businesses. Um, naturally, it's not easy to argue for that. You can argue for it from the perspective of, you know, just by nature of capitalism, these companies have stolen a lot more labor and a lot more money than... <laughs> That target was no angel. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? There's, there's, there's an argument to be made for it. Um, there's the argument to be made that target, for example, specifically was actually a headquarters that had programs with the police, like a surveillance program. And so it was complicit in some way. There's a lot of points to be made like that. There's a lot of points about like insurance. You know, everything's insured. So what really is the loss? But ultimately, I think... The biggest point, and this is something that I'm going to draw on from like my experience with the Arab Revolution and Palestinian resistance, is that there are two sides, 
And if you're a centrist, th th there's no equivalency between these two sides, basically. I mean, when we looked at the protests in, in Rabah, Rabah Square in Egypt, mm -hmm. um, people were like, oh, I mean, I don't like the Muslim Brotherhood, but I also don't like Sisi. But, you know, I don't really like the Muslim Brotherhood, so I'm not going to support them. While only one side is getting absolutely massacred by the thousands. The same thing happens with Hamas and or Palestine and Israel, where they're like, well, both sides are doing things wrong. They go, one side mm -hmm. is murdering thousands. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of the same thing here, where honestly, in my opinion, they've protested peacefully. Like they've been told progress takes time for so long. Centuries. Yeah, for so long. And even after the abolishment of Jim Crow laws and the introduction of affirmative action, it hasn't changed. Like, it, one, one of the biggest parts of society is unfortunately the cops because they enforce the law, mm -hmm. right? So if that part of society isn't being honestly upheld, then the rest of it falls apart, yeah. right? Not to get you off track, but the point I want to make is, yeah, you can argue for or against looting or rioting, whatever you want to call it, protesting. Yeah. But who are you to tell these people how they should behave? Yeah. When was the last time your ancestors were shipped across the ocean, worked until they died as slaves? When was the last time someone from your community was killed by a cop and the cop got off scot-free? When was the last time you didn't get a job because of the color of your skin? Why don't you let people deal with it how they're going to deal with it because everything else that liberals have or centrists have suggested over the years clearly haven't been working yeah exactly and aside from the fact that they've been protesting peacefully for so long without any real results one of the biggest things is that right now there are two sides you have either the protester side or you're not it's not protester side or the cop side. It's the protester side or the status quo side, right? Now, I'm not going to go out and tell people to loot and riot, you know, but, or rather not to loot, I think they should riot, but I'm not going to go out and tell them to loot small businesses and, and burn these areas down. Did you hear what but, that small business said? The, I think the Indian restaurant? Indian restaurant, yeah. yeah. There was that one Indian restaurant that said, let my business burn or let my building burn. These people need justice. Yeah. Yeah, that was like a very poignant line. And... I think that really captures the spirit of it. Like this is, this is basically what it is. It's you're putting capital up against justice and you're siding with one of them, right? Now, obviously it would be ideal if the current resistance and mobilization was very Mandela-esque where they were only targeting police stations, which they are, they ran those cops out of that third precinct. Mm -hmm. um, but if they were only targeting police stations and government buildings across the country, if they were only targeting banks, for example, which have been tools for oppression, for example, they give black people higher mortgage rates. Yeah, redlining, yeah. all kinds of stuff. Yeah, so a lot of dirty tactics across the board. So if you only targeted those tools of oppression, yes, that is very idealistic. But what we see as a tool of oppression is not necessarily what they see as a tool of oppression. You remember these people, like I saw what they were looting at a target. People were running out with vacuums. 
they yeah, were not yeah. stealing. And wh- why are you trying to hold these people to such a high moral standard? Th- these are, first of all, regular people and they're angry. Second of all, why aren't you spending all your time complaining about the police's issues? Yeah. They're supposed to be trained. They're supposed to be enforcing the law. But here you are wasting your breath complaining about protesters. Yeah, exactly. If you look at it as a cause and effect thing, you'd just say, all right, maybe the cops should stop killing people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So why exactly is so much of the responsibility and the moral responsibility on the people who have not been benefiting from the, I guess you could call it the social contract or the law contract at all. They've only ever taken the short end of the stick. So why is that responsibility on them now? But again, it ultimately comes down to which side you're going to be on. Like, yes, you might not be a supporter of this one action. But in the broader context, that one action is part of a movement that is essentially pitting justice against capital. Yeah, if you're not, if you're not on the side of the protesters, what that really means is that you want things to stay the way they are. You want yeah. to hold on to the status quo, yeah. and that that's just not working anymore. We, we've reached, I think, hopefully we've reached an inflection point and the, the people who espouse that worldview are going to be extinct pretty soon. I remember even on Reddit, a lot of people were pointing to South Korea where they were like, all the people did had to do was sit in a, sit with candles. They got the president impeached. And I was like, first of all, black, black people have done that for ages. They've had protests. They've had marches right? Them and their allies. And none of that has done anything. One of the biggest feel-good failures was the Women's March. Millions of people <laughs> showed up and they patted themselves on the back for Big cleaning time. up after. What did that achieve? It was it was good for like... Yeah, like what did that actually change? I, I can't think of anything. And I, I remember I went Could to, this, be wrong. to this one... There's this place in Berkeley called Zaytuno College, and I went to this one, I guess, seminar there. And one of the liberal Muslims there was saying, "Oh, I remember when I remember. we had." Were you, I remember you mentioned. That yeah, she was talking about the the protesters against that Muslim ban that Trump was rolling out, and basically they were they were protesting at the airport with tablas, which is like a traditional drum. And she was like, "All right, you guys, you got your point across." Uh, now the cops have to do work, so you should leave. And, and, and I feel like that is what people picture protesting is. You just kind of like send a letter oh, to your government. Yeah, yeah. They're weekend activists. It's something yeah. fun you do. Yeah. It's yeah. not actually supposed to change anything. You're just supposed to have fun, meet some friends, take pictures. Yeah. Protesting has to be disruption, like severe disruption. I mean, the protests in Egypt lasted three weeks, and the president left the night after they started to march onto his house. Yeah. Like that, what, was, that was in one of the Egypt, the, the, the entire country was shut down. And not just that, Yanni. Uh, but he was still giving speeches. He was giving all these platitudes. And the only time he left, the only time he really listened, was when those people gave him that threat of violence. 
right? And behind Martin Luther King's actions was that same threat of violence from Malcolm X, right? So that's, oh, yeah. kind, of, that's kind of the point is that that has to be there. I don't think well, anything's what, going like, to change without it. When a, when a workplace strikes, why do you think they strike instead of just talking to their boss or holding signs during their lunch break? Yeah. They strike because it's actually effective and it actually makes a difference on functionally what's happening. And that's what protesters have to do sometimes too. Strikes are effective because they're like something functionally has to change for a strike to stop, right? So yeah, what do you expect these people in Minneapolis to do that will actually do something on the ground other than rioting? Yeah. Like ask yourself that question. Okay, you don't think rioting or looting is okay? Fine. So what can they do? What can they do that hasn't been done? I mean, if Kaepernick's kneeling was rejected by the entire country, even liberals were like, oh, he didn't do it the right way. <laughs> that was the most lukewarm protest. It was the most lukewarm form of protest ever. Now, I mean, they, they, essentially what's happened is the idea of protesting has been beaten down, especially when it's black people protesting, right? It's been beaten down to the point where it means nothing. I mean, even, even if you look at every single protest in recent history, they're like, oh, don't block traffic. It's like, how on earth am I supposed to get anybody's attention? It's yeah. funny in the states when when you in New York specifically when you want to have a protest, you have to get a permit and whatnot. And especially yeah. in front Pretty of the United joke. in front of the United Nations, I went to one of these protests before, and basically it was just this little perimeter that was made. Yeah, it fit maybe fifty people and didn't block the street. It was just on the side, and it basically just communicated to me that we're just letting these people vent their anger out so they don't do anything more, right? So That's this exactly this isn't really effective. Um, and something really interesting came to mind when you're talking about uh, some protests and movements and walks that weren't really as effective as they were. Um, I do believe when I was reading, reading Malcolm X's autobiography, th there was a giant march against Washington. Mm. And in this march, um, basically everyone from around the country, black folk would get on buses and get to Washington, right? Mm. Uh, but then soon enough, um, the black leaders of the march started uh, sort of, the march got whitened a little bit, you know? Um, people went to celebrate, went to sing. Once they started singing, like Malcolm X pretty much knew that this was, uh, it was over. People just went there for a couple of days, sang, yelled, screamed, laughed, cried, mm -hmm. and then they dispersed. What Malcolm X would have wanted them to do is march against the White House. And if they would do that, yeah, it, it, they would have had some change, right? So I think we can, I think to sum it all up, we know change is needed and we know that there's only a few different ways to actually ensure that change happens. So yes, we support the people protesting in Minneapolis. Yes, we think there needs to be huge structural changes, maybe abolishment of the police. Like I don't see how someone can in good faith, and maybe that's the issue, argue against these things knowing the history and the context. Yeah, I think one of the biggest catchphrases that liberals came out with was make racists afraid again. And that includes the cops. The cops need to be a little bit afraid. They have to know that they're ultimately serving the community, not 
enforcing it, not occupying it. Yeah. You know? We pay their salaries through taxes and they treat us like this. Yeah. Like, not me specifically, but black people. (laughs) Especially black people. (laughs) Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of Profits Over Profits. We uh, hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time.